Um, for those of you that don't know, we've been uh, a bit out of things for about a month. Uh, we were living in that one-room apartment and it was a bit too much for us. So uh, ever since Eitan left, now he's back, so we're starting again. It's lit literally. The day he left, we made the announcement, okay, uh, Eitan's leaving, so we're stopping. We're putting things on hold. Eitan did not tell us when he's going to be back. Um, but we will let you know when we will open up again. Eitan came back. He just gave us a phone call this week. He was apparently he was already back for two weeks. It's his fault that we didn't start two weeks ago. And, um, and he let us know that this week he's back, but he's a bit sick. We thought he had COVID. Um, maybe he does, but he just doesn't tell us. No, it's something called Delta. Oh, it's a different. It's not COVID. Um, but he is fine and healthy, and um, we are really glad to have him here with us. Uh, Thank you, Rabbi. Yes. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for opening us opening up Ashley again. We really appreciate it. Second, I want to thank. By the way, there's only like five people here, and I'm with a microphone. That's because I love being on a microphone. <laughs> I love myself. Uh, second thing is, I want to thank my amazing wife, Shira. I, uh, this week is our third event for this week. It's pretty lit for Aislinn. We did a wedding uh, that we uh, ran, and well, didn't run it. Run it. I just had to. I had to run down the aisle, but that's as far as it. And well, I had to put on a show. And then, um, and then we had a sheva brachot, which is like a mini wedding the next day that we did here. And we hosted his family and her family and Erez. You know, everyone knows Erez. So we had the wedding for Erez this week. And then uh, we were going to have Taco Tuesday, but we were like, okay, wait a second. We need to, you know, our kids are going crazy. We've we got to take off another day. And then we'll do Wine Wednesday instead. But no, we, we couldn't do Taco Tuesday. It's too much. So we did Wine Wednesday. And again, we're doing Shabbat this week. So all of you are welcome to join us for Shabbat. It's a great vibe. Oh, by the way, that's another reason why I'm using a microphone. Because <laughs> when Avram makes noise, you know, my noise is louder. So, uh, uh, that's my excuse. I really like being on a... That's why I moved to LA, you know. So, uh, yeah, right. I'm waiting for the drop the mic moment, you know. Like. So, uh, what else did I want to say? Uh, that's basically it. We are back on full force, yeah. Yeah, uh, Aish runs every year two young professional high holiday uh, programs. One is Sephardic and an Ashkenazic one. We are we are part of the Ashkenazic one. Uh, it's very beginner. Um, I am Sephardic actually, but uh, the the one that we're going to join is going to be the Ashkenazic one. And it's uh, really good for anyone that wants to know what page you're on and to know that you're actually, uh, there's, some, there's something which can be explained in English. It's not all Hebrew and Chinese or whatever other language it could be. Um, but, you know, it's going to be, uh, as much as we can, we try and make it a bit easy for you, quick. Uh, it won't take too long. And before every little bit that we read, we'll have us an inspiring speaker coming up. Uh, we're, we're joining with Rabbi, Tal Rabbi Tala from J-Hub um, as well, so we're, doing, we're partnering with him. And it's going to be super lit hub, 
at Maury's Fireplace. Okay? So that's what we're doing. And um, please be in touch. It's a, a great opportunity. Someone who signs up is also supporting what we do for the year. So it helps us. Um, how much is the ticket for Russian and Yom Kippur? 80. It's $80 for both. And you can come to all the, all the services. Sorry? Right, break the fast and a kiddush. Yeah. On a separate thing, we're also doing meals as well. Um, so you guys sign up for that too. Um, but we got you guys covered. And as long as Delta doesn't drive anyone crazy, and uh, you know, I don't have a mask, so whatever. So uh, I better be quiet now. Part of part of the thing of saying jokes is, or trying to say jokes is you're gonna say something stupid at some point, you know. So. Um, I got vaccinated, so twice. The third's the third's going to be by force. I think I don't know. It's getting there. So um, uh, that's basically the first two were by force, honestly. But uh, yeah, but it was my decision. But you know, without much choice. There was free will there. There was free will. That's another conversation. Free will. So anyway, so that's the, that's the discussion for now. And let's get right into Tori, Dan. Some ideas? Okay, so I want to tie the time that we're in to the Torah portion and to dating, because otherwise you guys are going to fall asleep and there's noise in the background. That would totally distract you. So let's talk a bit about dating and tie it into, into uh, the time of the, the year that we're in, Shoftim and Shotrim and Elul, the month that we're in, really special month. It's a month of beginnings, renewal. Judaism is awesome with that. And it's a great opportunity to think about life and, and change and grow. Right? Because we're all evil, terrible uh, beings that need to constantly change. Um, well, we can be, but we're not. And change means that someone gives, has hope in us. That's really what it means. So um, when it comes to dating... What is the one thing that, or at least even in, in marriage, really, what's the one thing that you need in order to make it work? Trust. Well, trust, yes, trust. Core values. Values, good values, core values, not just attractive. Go on. Respect. Respect. A second person. Right, a second person. <laughs> That's really important. That's exactly, you know what, we're all laughing. That's exactly what I was going to say. That's it, I'm done. You got, you got the point. <laughs> but that really is what I'm going to say. Is that, if, you know, they say that love and relationships is reciprocal, right? You've got to have two sides to the coin. Uh, well, when you're married, you come one coin. But, but you've got to have two sides. It can't be that, um, you know, you're just chilling there, sitting, relaxing on your phone or whatever. And somehow the magic is going to happen. There's got to be an effort on both sides. So, sorry, you got to swipe right. Is it? That's definitely a stage. There's definitely a stage. Um, <laughs> don't swipe left. But you know what? Even if you do swipe left, it's just a swipe. You can go back, and if, you, if you're good looking enough, you'll get back in. Right? So, is that how it works? I don't know. I've never been on swipe culture. I, what? You have to pay extra. Really? <laughs> really? If you buy mistakes, swipe left. You have to pay so you can use the go back 
feature. Did you create this app? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, which app are you talking about, guys? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Hinge, hinge. So um, the, the most important thing is that there's two sides to the coin. You know, to me, uh, that is a very important aspect. You know, if, if each person waits for the other to do something, then nothing's going to happen. And um, when both are active, then maybe you have something going, you know. But if no one's active, or one guy's on the phone and the other one's like, hey, honey, and um, no response, just like, yeah, yeah, uh, it ain't going anywhere, you know. So you've got to see a two-sided dusiach uh, in Hebrew, they call it, a dusiach. And um, when it comes to Judaism, it's like that too. This month is called, don't fall asleep now, because it, we learn all the wisdom of Judaism about relationships is learned from our relationship with God. When you think about how you connect with Hashem, God is the male, uh, Jews, right? God is the male, he's not, a, he's not a body or a figure of a body, and we are the female of the relationship between us and God, okay? So, uh, some people have told me, oh, how come God's uh, males? I said, well, did you know that we consider people as the female? Uh, oh, okay. So, um, uh, you know, God's the male and we're the female. God doesn't have a body or a figure of a body. You know why he's considered a male, right? According to Judaism, God is not a person like me and you. Yeah. You get that, right? He cre- if he created me, you, everyone, every tree, every leaf, everything, can't be a physical being, right? You've got to get, if it's a physical being, then the question is who created that? Right? What came before that? Something must have, it's finite. So what created it? So you have to come to the conclusion that the source of everything couldn't have come from nothing. Well, actually Judaism does, does say that everything came from nothing, but with the word of God, with the power of Hashem. Okay? Um, it's not that God is a physical being. And uh, so why is it that God's considered a male? He should be called uh, a female, you know. Nowadays, it would be way cooler to call God a female. That way we uh, are more accepting and so on. Right? Why is God considered a male? Well, females don't give. Oh, I'm going to get in trouble if I said that. Right? It's true God is a giver. Females don't give. Of course they do. So, uh, the idea is that when it comes to creation, um, you're, you're, on the right, you're on the right path but I'm just showing you like, how whatever you say is like... So, um, you know, when it comes to a physical relationship, I hope my kids, the door's closed, but when it comes to a physical relationship, the male is the one that gives something that lasts for a very short amount of time. Okay? A tr- tremendous amount of potential. Right? A tremendous amount of potential. And what a mother is able to do, what the spouse is able to do, is to take one of those, right? All subconsciously, this is all biological, but think about, or don't think too much, but think about what happens, right? Uh, She's able to take one of those, okay? One of those millions of potentials that will last for not very long, and she's able to connect to it and build it into a baby, and eventually a child that's born. But it's, it's the focus of being able to take so much potential and being able to take one of those potentials and bring it out into, into a human being. That's an, a tremendous ability. So, in, in Jewish teaching, God is like the male in terms of giving tremendous amounts of potential into this world. This world has 
thrown at it, infinite amounts, almost if it's a finite world, but God is infinite and he's throwing his infinity of potential to this world. And what we have to do is grab onto it. If we don't do anything, then it will grow, right? A tree will grow into a tree and eventually wither away and die. But it's up to us to take the tree, right, environmentalists, uh, take the tree, cut it and use it for something that's much more bigger, than, much greater than its own self. Okay? That's the human ability. Like Rabbi Akiva, who was once asked, um, who's greater, the deeds of God or the deeds of man? What's greater, man or God? Uh, so he said, what do you mean? Well, uh, the Roman emperor, or the Caesar, whatever his name was, that eventually killed him, uh, says to him, as Turnus Rufus his name was, sounds quite rough, Turnus Rufus. He uh, was with Rabbi Akiva and he was asking multiple questions. One of the questions was, he said to him, sorry, so, <laughs> he's yawning. So one of the questions was, he asked him, was, um, what is it that, uh, what, in your eyes, what's greater, God or mankind? And uh, he was trying to trick Rabbi Akiva. Because he was trying to tell him, listen, if you tell me God's greater than, than, than mankind, then how can you do anything in this world? You should be a, uh, a person that doesn't do circumcision. You shouldn't clothe yourself. You shouldn't do anything. Leave the world there it is, right? The, the Roman culture and the Greek culture, they valued the body. They valued, uh, they worshipped the physicality. Because right? they thought that's everything. Um, so, right, the hedonists. So they, they valued, you know, uh, the word gym. This is a Ken Spiro quote. Uh, a gym comes from gymnos, which means to be naked, right? Think about that next time you go to the gym. But uh, originally, the word gym comes from the word gymnos, which means to be naked in Greek culture. Because that's how they worked out, right? They used to run with the great six-pack. That's how their Olympics was. Somehow, they managed to hide their... Uh, you know, body parts in the picture. But otherwise, there's, uh, that's how they used to work. It's uh, gymnos in, in, in uh, Greek language, uh, in Latin or whatever it is, means to be naked. So um, they worship the physical. So he said to him, listen, how can, if you believe that uh, God is the creator of everything and he's greater than the deeds of man, then how can you do anything? How can you create... Uh, how can you do circumcision? How can you change the world? How can you believe in it, uh, fixing the world, repairing the world? Not necessarily fixing it, but improving and bringing light of God to the world. How can you believe that? He already created it. You, his deeds are greater than yours. And if you believe that mankind is greater than God, then you're a heretic. How can you say that mankind is greater than God? That's insane. <laughs> you're, you believe in God. So how can you say mankind's deeds are greater than the deeds of God in this world? It doesn't make sense. So what was the response? Rabbi Akiva went without speaking. Best way to respond, by the way, is not to speak. He went running. He got himself a, 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 some wheat in one hand and he brought also a beautiful cake in the other hand made by a human being. And he says to Turnus Rufus, you decide which one's greater. The wheat or the cake? What do you think? And basically what he was saying is, uh, what he was saying is, yes, it's true, God's creations are perfect. The wheat that he made is perfect. But it's up to us 
to, bring, to take that potential and bring it out even more. Right? God's creations are perfect, but it's up to us to take the potential that we have and bring out the best of it. So that's why Judaism believes that you can uh, progress scientifically. We're not against that. That's why Judaism believes it's, it's unique as a religion. That we can build and, and change um, and advance ourselves in terms of uh, the physical world. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it only makes our Judaism better. Right? When things are more convenient for us, it can be. We have more time to study Torah somehow. So much science has helped us, but then it made us more lazy, right? People today say they have no time. What do you mean you have no time? We have a washing machine that washes your clothes for you. You have uh, hot water always available for you. You have a fridge that keeps food fresh for you, so you don't have to buy less, right? But somehow we're all busy. Why? Do you know what they used to live with? That you want to wash your clothes? You had to wash it by hand. No time for... They had no time. How come we have no time? But for some reason, we're all busy all the time, right? So uh, why did I go there? I don't know. But Judaism, because I like ranting. Uh, but Judaism does believe in uh, taking the physical world and elevating it, bringing it to a higher level. How come? Because God gave us the tremendous potential. We are the female in the relationship that takes all the potential, at least some of it. We can't. It's not possible for you to do everything. But to take some of what you can in this world and elevate it. Whether it's eating, even eating according to Jewish teaching, when you make a bracha on food, you take an animal that's kosher, that's allowed to be eaten, that's cut in a, in a kosher way, slaughtered in a kosher way, you make the right bracha on it, you elevate the animal from an animalistic level to a spirit, more humanistic level. Right? That's, that's the ability of... You elevate it because then what you do with your body and the energy that it creates for you allows you to do some amazing potential in the world that animals can't do. Humans could take themselves to the moon, but I'm not talking about taking yourself to the moon. I'm talking about, you know, doing good in the world, right? But humans have a tremendous ability. If I use the energy that's created by Hashem in this world for the good, what I'm doing is I'm elevating the world. So um, going back to the idea of uh, Hashem and creation, he was the one is, is considered as a male. Why is he considered a male? Because he brings us tremendous potential. We are considered as the female. Make sense? Because we've got to take the potential and bring it out. So anyway, in a relationship, going back, in a relationship, you want it to work, the first thing is you don't wait for the other side. This is what happens to me so many times. You ready? Uh, start teaching um, people that get married. So me and Shira are guides for Khatanim and Kalot, uh, for uh, bride and groom. They would reach out to us and we would teach them uh, the laws of, uh, different laws of marriage in Jewish law. Um, really good stuff about making the relationship work. Right? There's a reason why we, our relationships last so long, right? Uh, for the most part. So, uh, we, 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 me and Shira teach Chatan and Kalan. And one of the things we do is also teach Hashkafah, is like the way you look at marriage as well. How to respond in different situations. Different tips, not that I'm an expert. Um, but we try and there's guidance that we have from the Torah. And uh, we teach Chatan and Kala. And a lot of times I teach a, a, I'm teach teaching the, the groom. And he tells me, Rabbi, I hope 
Shira is teaching this to the bride almost every time. I hope she is teaching this to the bride. And I'm sure, Shira, does that happen to you? Yeah, they, they all say, like, I hope so you need that too. You know, like, both sides say that. Just recently, a. Uh, uh, this is right. So, just recently, a bride came into a house, and uh, I hope she's not listening to this video because uh, she doesn't know who it is. But she came to a house, and she's like, "Oh, Rabbi, uh, how's it going with my husband? Are you, are you, are you, my future husband? Are you teaching him everything? He needs to know, you know, the stuff that I'm learning. I hope you're teaching him everything." So everyone's thinking of the other side. Like, I hope the other side knows. Uh, I really hope that the other side gets to learn the things that you're teaching me. So um, one of the things I tell them is, as a response, is they are getting taught the same things. But don't worry. If you do your part, you will get everything back to you. Everything will come back the way it's meant to. Just do your part. Now, that's not always true. There's always exceptions to the rule. Don't get me wrong, you can have a great guy that's giving, 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 giving to relationship, and you just have someone like this, yeah, 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 and not doing anything, right? So that's a mistake, right? You, you can have that. If he's, if he's good with that and that floats his boat, great, you know? <laughs> but, but normally, in a relationship, there's got to be a two-sided situation. So if you're putting in the effort, normally, it's, obviously it's not always a given, but according to... It, According to physical understanding, for sure it's not a given. It's not always going to happen. But on a spiritual level, from, from a Jewish perspective, there's a rule. The way a person acts is how people are going to act back to you. This is a rule that's so important for the way you approach everything. Work too. You walk into a, a, a business deal. How are you approaching the deal? Because the way that you approach the deal is how they're going to approach back to you. you know, if you come in with confidence, you come in with experience, you did some preparations before, and then you walk in, right? You know, obviously not too confident because they're going to be like, oh, I don't like this guy. But if you come in with a certain element of confidence, they're going to come back to you and they're going to like you and they're going to respond in a good way. So there is this rule in Judaism. You've got to take the initiative. And that's... Um, very much of the time of the year that we're in. This month is called Elul, and it literally stands for Ani Ledodi Vedodi I'm for my love, which is God. Yes, God is considered as a love. I know some people don't believe it, but um, you can actually get to a point when you're in love with God. So Ani Ledodi, I'm in love, I'm for my love, and then my love is for me. In Judaism, we believe that if you want things to work, even with God, who's infinitely loving, you've got to do your part. You can't expect right, that you'll just be free. Or like some other religions believe that you could just be atoned for your sins if you believe. It's not enough. According to Judaism, if somebody did something wrong, the only person that can fix it is you. We're very much about taking the initiative. We're not about somebody else taking the initiative for me or fixing me. There is an idea in Judaism that if I do my part, God's going to help me. But I've got to take the first step. It's like a father-child relationship. When, when my child starts walking, then I'm there on the side to help them make sure they don't fall. And everything. But they've got to take the step. If they don't even make the step, at some point we're going to have to get worried. The child has to do something. 
So that's how it is in Judaism. That we are like the child in the relationship and we've got to do our part. He's the best. So, um, Oh, really? Okay. But we've got to do our part. Now, it's true that it also does say, It does say in Shira Shirim, Song of Songs, which is where this acronym comes from, My love is for me, and I am for him. It does say that, meaning God is for me also. I do know in the back of the head, like you said, that there's trust in the relationship, that he's there for me, he's got my back. I, sorry? She said trust. Yeah, 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 I know. I was pointing at <laughs> no, 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 I trust you too. So uh, it's true that there has to be trust, that I know that there will be a return in the relationship, but I've got to do my part. Anyway, this idea is also taught in terms of how we're judged on Rosh Hashanah. Okay? People don't like the idea of Judgment Day um, or how we're looked at by God and what that really means. We have to think about what that means. But there is an idea that the way we've been with other people is the way that God is going to judge and look at me. So there's actually a teaching, a beautiful idea, that's taught a parable of two judges, very important judges, very good judges. One was the best. Anyone who got into his uh, court knew that they would get out, they were happy, they would get a good result, they would come out with the right verdict, everything will be fine. And there was another judge that was, every time you, if, if any lawyer would have his uh, defendant come into that case, they knew that they were going to lose. They, there was no chance. So there was one judge that was great, kind, loving, always trying to understand the case, trying to understand both sides of the story. And there was another judge that was really strict. And the story is told that these two judges were caught in a scandal. It's great, great timing. So these two judges were caught in a major scandal. And no one knew what to do with it. It was like these big judges, they're caught in a, this crazy scandal, a huge scam that they have been judging against themselves. Oh no, what are we going to do? So they decided to send the judges to the Supreme Court. They send them to the Supreme Court. And in the Supreme Court, just one second. I'm busy recording this. Okay, so they decided to... Uh, take it to the Supreme Court. And in the Supreme Court, they said, we can't judge you guys. You are the best judges. We have no way of judging you. But we'll let you judge yourselves. How? Do you know how? Let's look at how you judged everybody in a similar case. And then based on that, we'll judge you. So the judge that was always kind, they looked at him, they said, oh, the similar case... He eventually let the person go. He told him he has to do a week of social service and he let him go. The other person they said, ah, same case he gave to someone else, he put him in prison for two years. You have to go to prison for two years. So in Jewish teaching, there is an idea that the way that we are to others is how it is back to us in life as well. And it's like that in a relationship. And it's like that on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, where no one's perfect. But a lot of how we're looked at is how we were with other human beings, how we interacted with other human beings until this point. And that's why during the month of Elul, the first thing that we work on is Ish uh, Lere'eu Umatanot Lev Yonim. Also another acronym for Elul. 
is Ish Lereu or Matanot Levinu is brought down in the book of Esther that we have to treat each other with gifts and compliments and, and help the poor because if we it actually says in Jewish teaching we learned this in last, last week's uh, uh, Torah portion it says um, something on those lines which is like Hashem will give you a situation of mercy and then have mercy on you. We just said it in last week's Torah portion in Re'eh. It says that when sometimes everything happens for a reason in Jewish teaching. If you're walking down the street and someone who's poor comes to you and says, hey, can I, can I have some money? Or a friend tells you a sad story. There's a lesson that came. Why did he tell it to you? Why didn't he tell it to somebody else? There's a reason why someone comes to you and tells you a sad thing that happened to him. Everything that happens is for a reason. But one of the reasons, it's a very important idea to stick with, it's an amazing part of emunah that a person must have, that when someone comes up to you and says, hey, please help me with some tzedakah, or hey, I'm having a hard time today, what do you think I should do? And you, if you give them the time that they need, God is sending you a message that at some point or other, he needs to bring you into court, into a spiritual court. And he's going to look for a moment where you were merciful to someone else. And he's going to say, wait a second, you, were, you had that situation that I sent you a few weeks ago where the poor guy said, hey, please give me some money. And you responded, you gave him the time. And according to Jewish teaching, when you do that, it comes back to you. It's like karma. It comes back to you. And God says, hey, you did the extra kindness. I'm going to do the extra kindness for you. Even though in this situation... Um, based on your mazal and the time of the way that your body works and the way that the world works, a person needs to, um, I don't know, there, there needs to be that there's a car crash, God forbid, at this time. But because of all the rachamim that you brought to somebody else, I'm going to give you rachamim and everything is going to be fine. Okay, you won't even get into the crash or something like that. So according to Jewish teaching, with the way that we are to others is the way that God is to us as well. And that's a big aspect. So there's two things so far. Or there's one thing so far that we need to work on that I've mentioned. And that's in- increasing our level of mercy amongst other people. Right? Strengthening our relationship with other people. Because if we do that during this month, God is going to have also more mercy on us. Okay? That's the first thing that I wanted to tell you that we need to work on this month. And, and the second thing is making, strengthening my relationship with God. Do an effort of some kind, something small, to strengthen your relationship with God. That's the second thing. Just like in relationships, if you want the relationship to work, you've got to do your part first. And the third thing is that I wanted to mention to you tonight, and I'll finish with this. Maybe I'll tell you a little story. But uh, the third thing I want to mention to you is making boundaries. This week's Torah portion always falls on the month of Elul. And in this week's Torah portion it says, Shoftim veshotrim titen lecha bechol sharecha. Place judges and police officers in all your gates. Veshaftu etam mishpat tzedek. They should judge the people uh, in a way of dance balta. They should judge the people in a way of tzedek, of justice. According to Jewish teaching, 
a judge must not even get a judge must not even get a the Talmud says Mazutra, a big rabbi in the Talmud. He was given a feather. He, uh, there was a sorry, there was a feather on his jacket. And as he was walking into the court, there were many cases on the court. He was going to sit in many cases. And uh, as he's walking to the court, there was something on his jacket. Someone comes up to him and says, Hey, Rabbi, Rabbi, there's something on your jacket here. And he removes it. So Mazutra says, Who are you? He says, I'm one of the people here. I have a case and you're, I've come to be under court with you. Mazutra looks at him and he says, Pasim nalach ladina, you are... Uh, you have now unable to be in my court. I'm unable to be your judge. Because even you did something small for me, I'm biased to the case. A judge is completely objective. By the way, really, really important. This is, by the way, not just a Jewish law to have courts and a justice system. This is a law for the seven Noahide laws. All the world needs to have shoftim v'shotrim, judges, courts, and police officers. A place that doesn't have a healthy shoftim v'shotrim, a healthy police force and a healthy uh, uh, court system is a place that you shouldn't be in. It's a law for non-Jews as well, not just for Jews. And it says um, that you shouldn't be biased. By the way, this is such an important thing. Whenever you do business with someone, at some point it can easily get into an awkward situation. You did a deal with him and he owes you money. You think the money's yours. You should have the money. He says, no, it's my money. Things get awkward. I have a friend who borrowed his, we were in yeshiva, he borrowed his friend's motorcycle. He borrowed the motorcycle and totaled it. He smashed it up into someone, he didn't know how to ride it properly. Boom, into the wall. Completely destroyed the whole motorcycle. Really nice one. So uh, he came out fine, thank God. Um, but the, the friend, uh, his, the owner of the motorcycle said to him, listen, I want the money. I want you to pay the money. So he said, of course, I will. Um, but do I have to pay the full price? You know, the full motorcycle, it's a lot. It's like something I can't afford. So I know that we have to, we have to do something. Plus the way that we did it was you lent it to me. It's, maybe it's different. So they made an agreement. We'll go to a Jewish court. And there are Jewish courts till today just for monetary law. Okay. And we'll see what the truth is, what the Torah says. And whatever the truth is, we'll follow, we'll agree. Because I know, it's obvious to me, this is so important whenever you do business with someone else or you've got a friend that's working with you and your partners. But never say things that are unnecessary. Yeah, we'll, we'll partner half-half. Why are you jumping? Otherwise, you're going to get yourself stuck after. Right? So when it comes to, in any terms of business, first, you discuss and you make this conclusion before you even start. That there's one thing's for sure. I don't want to steal your money. And I know that you don't want to steal my money. We're both good people. But to me, I am sure that I've won this case. And I, I deserve all the money. You are sure that I don't deserve all the money. And you deserve all the money. I know you're a good guy. But we both want... We don't want to steal. So let's go to court. Let's go to a Jewish court. Where three dayanim, three rabbis would sit... And they'll tell you, they won't just say, the money's for him, the money's for him. They'll tell you exactly to detail what the Jewish law is, what the halakha is. And then you can come to a conclusion. You could say, listen, we'll sign. Whatever they say, we'll agree upon. It's much, much easier when it comes to monetary 
cases to take the law to a Jewish court first. It's not, it won't call it a court. It's more of a dispute right? when it comes to money. And that way, many, many things can be solved. It's a beautiful way of making things work. In the old days, it used to be that there was courts and judges outside every gate of every city. You know, like in Jerusalem, when you walk to the Jerusalem, uh, to the Kotel, you have the gates there. It used to be that those gates were massive rooms. Till today, you could see some of those gates in the old city are big. There's two walls, right? They're big rooms. It used to be that outside, outside of every city, outside of every gate, there was a court sitting, waiting. And anyone who wants can come. You have a monetary dispute. Don't, don't be in Machloket for even one minute. Judaism is all about shalom. It's all about peace. Don't even be in an argument for one minute. Let's quickly go. Sit with the Bedin, sit with the monetary uh, court, and we'll find out the result. We'll resolve the situation. Okay, that's the ultimate way to do it. That's how it used to be done. But there's a different meaning, my friends, of what it means having judges and police officers in your gates. Sha'arim is in your body. There are many gates in your body. You have the gates of your eyes, your ears. These are openings. You have a mouth that speaks, a body that works, legs that walk, arms that touch. These are all different gates that allow you to have access to different parts of the world. And it says, Shoftim veshotrim titen lecha bechol sha'arecha. Put gates, put officers and put judges in all of your gates. Don't just allow your body to be free. And don't just allow yourself to say, oh, I'm interested in this, let me see this. I'm interested in doing this, let me do this. But be somebody who has the right boundaries, who knows how to have a shofet, who knows how to have a judge on himself, an objective judge. There's a difference between a judge and a lawyer. A lawyer would stand up for the person that's the worst. He could be a criminal. But I'm your, I'm your lawyer now. And I'm going to stand up for you. I know you're a criminal. You can, I agree, but I'm not going to say that in court. What do you mean? I agree that I'm wrong. No, shh. I'm going to stand up for you in court. I'm going to win your case. A lawyer stands up for even the biggest criminal. Don't be a lawyer to yourself. Be a judge to yourself. Be objective. It's different than a lawyer. Look at yourself and say, okay, where, where am I falling short? That's something that we do in the month of Elul. We look outside, we come objectives. And the way to become objective is through Torah study, through prayer, through having uh, different mentors, different people that you can speak to, having good friends. It says, Make yourself a rabbi. Buy yourself a friend. Right? Talking about buying, buying friends. Listen to this one. Buy yourself a friend. Does that make sense to you? Buy yourself a friend. Why? Because if he's the right friend, he's going to influence you for the better. You bribe your way in. Dude, I'll take you out for lunch. Right? If you want to be in the right surroundings, pay the money to be. It's worth it. And it says, Place your uh, judgment and your officers, once you've made the right conclusion, that this is not for me. This is not the place for me or the, the way I've been going in this path this year hasn't been the right way. There's something I want to change. There's this thing that I want to change. Whatever it is, right? The worst thing that a human being can do to themselves is Wherever my heart tells me I will go, then you're a slave 
to your heart. But to be free from your, your inner self, to be free from your heart. I'm not going to allow this person to force me to look at them. I'm not going to allow this person to force me to talk to them. I'm going to be in control of my inner self. When someone's able to do that, they are free. So that is another thing that we need to work on, specifically in this week, that we have this, uh, this uh, parasha, this Torah portion, about making myself a judge, bringing judges, bringing, allowing that restrictive boundary in my life. We're, we're in a time when no one wants any restriction. Let me do whatever I want. Free world, free world, free world. But then what? You're not so free. You know why? Because you're enslaved to whatever's driving you. The true free person is someone who's able to hold back and be in control because there's no way that everything's free. There's no way that you can be married, let's say, but also in a relationship with another person that you, 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 you like. There's no way. Right? There's no way of having the whole thing. There's got to be boundaries. If the person doesn't have boundaries in his life, he's undefined. Then they have no definity. There's no identity. Who are you? Hey, I'm someone that just follows whatever I want. Well, then you don't have an identity. Boundaries is what defines you. And that's why it says, Shoftim v'shotrim titen lecha. Give yourself in all of your gates. It starts inward. When somebody's able to find the boundaries within, they will be able to be free of the outer self and be um, more uh, happy. And um, this is a beautiful time, honestly. It says, Ashrechem Yisrael. Rabbi Kiva used to say, Ashrechem Yisrael. Happy are you, the Jewish people. It's a happy time. Look who you're coming to be pure in front of. God. And God's going to help you. You do the first part, but then God's going to help me. Right? You've got to do it, but happy time it is because you're sitting with God. And God wants you. And Teshuvah is open, it's always ready and saying, come, come. Judaism never says that someone's too far. I once had a prisoner that was convicted for murder calling me when I was in Oregon. He found my number somehow. He calls me up. He says, Am I, is it too late? Is it too late? I'm in prison. Is it too late? I said, there's never too late. Maybe for, the, for human beings, it's too late. You killed someone. Right? For human beings, once the person's, you killed them. There's no way out. For another, how can someone forgive that? How can a family relative forgive that? But for God, God is the one that's merciful. He'll atone the sin. He won't destroy. He always, even for the worst of worst, there's always room. As long as your heart is pumping, there's room for a person to fix and improve and become a better person. Okay. So my question to you all is, do you have any questions? Are there any thoughts? Yes. Thank you for coming, by the way. Do you know why? Oh, it's a pleasure. Because now you make me less, you make me more comfortable. You know? Someone's actually asking something. Yeah, go. <laughs> Rabbi, I have a question. Does this apply to everybody in your life? Like your parents, your siblings, your close relationships with your friends, acquaintances? You named only a few of like, as a marriage and your workplace. Because everything you're saying applies to friendships. And when does following your heart and creating those boundaries like, come into place with all of these people in your life? 
Look, if someone's abusive um, or someone within your own circle is doing something wrong, then the best thing to do is to distance yourself from them, right? Uh, in Judaism, there's divorce. So even though I'm talking about relationships, there are times it's a, it's a tragedy. It's definitely a tragedy, but there are times where divorce is necessary and is a mitzvah. And the same would be with the relationship with parents. But don't get me wrong. There's a story of Dama Banatina. I've already mentioned his story. A non-Jew who lived in Ashkelon in Israel. I think it's Ashkelon. He lived in Israel. And at the end of his life, besides for how much love he had for his parents, at his end of his life, his mother lost her mind. Whilst he's sitting in a very important meeting, he was a very wealthy man. He became very, very wealthy. Non-Jew. His mother comes in and starts beating him, takes off her shoe, beats him, beats him on the head in front of everybody. Beating and beating him, he doesn't say anything. And eventually, what does he do? His mother beats him so hard with a shoe, the shoe breaks and goes flying on the floor. Now she's without a shoe. His son went, to, got the shoe and gave it here, mum. So they said to him, what are you doing? She's beating you in the head. She's, mom is mom. That's what he said. And it's brought down in the Talmud, that story, to teach me that, look how important Kibbut Ava'em is, honoring our parents. It says that if someone honors their parents, they merit to having a long life. It's one of the things you'll see the result in this world. You'll see the result of it in this world, not in the next world, in this world too. We can't, you know, when we do good and bad, we don't see the result of it. You know, you know that, right? You, you, do, you give charity, you don't see the effect of it. The reason is because of free will. If you would see the effect of all the good you do, you'll never choose not to do it. You'll always do good. I always, I always see the good I do. Like, I, I, like it comes you do. It does come back, but you don't yeah, see it immediately. It it's not like you give charity and then all of a sudden 10 times the money comes in your you account. like karma? Yeah. Karma, karma works. It happens pretty quick. Like, it's crazy. I love it. Fine. No, I'm being dead serious. So my lesson's pointless. So his free will, his free will is different, you know. It's true. Some people, some people might see the results because they're looking for it. You know, they're looking for it. But one thing I know, it's not possible for us to see the results of the good that we do straight away every time. It's not possible. Because then we will never choose to do bad. Right? In a world of free will, things are held off. Whether it's good or bad, it's held off from us. But there is a belief in Judaism. I've had once this conversation with someone. He told me, listen, when it comes to Judaism, I know that you work with people that are not so into their Judaism. They're Jewish, right? So they're not... I told them, first of all, it's not true. You should, you should see H. Lit. It's pretty lit, right? They're very Jewish. But, but he says, you know, I, I know that you're teaching about Judaism. I want you to be careful, he told me. You can't teach them how... Um, amazing Judaism is and if you start getting close to God he's going to pay you back because it's not true it's not always true right you you start getting more into Judaism and you do Shabbat Hashem will pay you back you'll double the money I told him thank you very much for your advice it's true that I won't that when you do good you don't see the result immediately and you shouldn't think that you will see the result immediately because that's not a good principle to have because when it doesn't work out you'll be like see it doesn't work but Judaism does believe, it says in Tehillim, work hard, you do the right things, and you'll eat the fruits. Happy are you 
and good is it for you? Happy are you in this world and good is it for you in, this, in the world to come? Judaism believes that if you do the right things, it's good for you here too. You will see the results here. Sometimes you see the results, sometimes you don't know how much of a result you're getting. You don't know why, but life is actually working out for you. And it could be because of the good that you did. So it says, I, I told him, I don't teach anybody that immediately good happens to you, but I do believe that when you do good, good happens back to you for sure. In this world and the world to come. So when it comes to relationships with your parents, yes. That's one of the things that you receive the results in this world. We're guaranteed a richut yamim. I have an uncle who's a much older man now. He's in his, his 80s. He looked after my grandmother for 40 years. He has a family, he has kids. He lived in Ramle in Israel. And he looked after my grandmother who had Parkinson's. She had Parkinson's for almost 40 years. By the end of her life, she looked like a, a skeleton. I, I remember going to her to see her a few weeks before she passed on. She was always with it towards the end. She really lost it. But she had to always be spoon-fed. It was literally, uh, uh, what's it called, urgent care all the time in his house. And he paid for someone to come and look. I totally believe he's, he's having longevity and a blessing in his life because of what he did for his mom. I've never seen some, such respect that somebody has for his mom. 40 years, my uncle. My uncle. I'm proud. But uh, anyway, but that's, that's just an example. You know, uh, We're promised long... By the way, Maimonides says that you're promised longevity not because of a, a spiritual reason. Not because of a spiritual reason. You're promised longevity because it makes sense logically also. Maimonides says this. Because when you look after your kids, when you look after your parents and respect them, your kids will follow suit. They'll see that that's what you did to your parents. They will copy and do the same. So Maimonides actually says it's a logical thing. That when you care for yours, eventually your children, it will come like a family thing. It's like a, it's like a, it's a cultural thing that happens and it affects your culture. And it's like a known thing in your culture that you look after your parents when they get older. No one's there to look after. Old age homes are, are new. Shira's grandmother never wanted to go to an old age home. Till the day she passed away, she used to say, if I go to an old age home, I'm going to get old. And she, she lived till over 100. Till, if I go to an old age home, I'm going to get old. And they never let her go to an old age home. Every single night, another child or grandchild came to sleep by her. And she never went to an old age home. It's an amazing thing. So, um, all the people that, look, that looked after, uh, they, they are going to be blessed with longevity. It's an opportunity for long life. We look for health, we look for eating right. We, we've got to look for the spiritual reasons too. So, uh, when it comes to honoring parents, of course, something we should strengthen. Yeah. When was Rosh Hashanah It was on Monday. Just this Monday. Always Shoftim falls on the month of Elul. Sorry? I just said okay. Yeah, yeah. So it was uh, sun, Sunday, Monday. We had Elul. I didn't know when the new month happened. But right. I was learning it today with uh, Rabbi Jawari. Oh, nice. Yeah. He's the man. He's a good guy. He's a good guy. Anyway, anything else? Yeah. Does the tablet play music too? Yeah. You want to... <laughs> You want, the, you, want the, you want me to start playing some good uh, tunes? Yeah.
Okay, that's a sign. It's over. Right. Hey, yeah, yeah, go on. What are you saying? Yes, it's not right. It's not because you're thinking of the end result. It's because of what it makes you become, that now has an effect in the world and eventually will bring back the good result to you. But you're, it's because you're doing it out of initial goodwill, and not because you, you're thinking of the end result. Because you can't think of the end result, even though Judaism knows. Like when I honor my parents, I know that I'm going to have long life, but I don't see that result immediately. So that's already considered as an initiative that I'm taking on on my own. It's not that I'm doing it because of the incentive. Because I don't see the result. Beautiful point. Anyone else? Yeah. Hey. What's your name? Me? Yeah. Brandon. Brandon, nice to meet you, bro. Nice to meet you. <laughs> um, I'm curious to hear more about the difference between being a judge versus a lawyer. So, oh, you're a lawyer? What's that? Are you a lawyer? I'm not, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Otherwise, I would have, I would have bounced. Um, so, you know, uh, uh, a lawyer is also a good thing, you know. But in Jewish teaching, um, it's actually something that we try to avoid. Because you can push yourself. Uh, it's funny that so many Jews are lawyers. But it's... it's <laughs> It's because we push ourselves. Sometimes we can, we can be fighting for something that's not just, right? We can help someone that's not necessarily um, doing the right thing. Like help him. Like I've been in a situation where a mom lost her custody to a child. Uh, and because her husband has the, has the money, her husband had the lawyers, her husband had all the, all the way in, and she was like working, you know, uh, minimum wage. She didn't have much money. And he had all the, the ways to get her to court. And he just won the case. And I went to try and help her out. Um, she called me and asked me to join and help her out with her kid. But she basically, at the beginning, lost the case on her kid. Why? Because he had the better lawyer. Is that, is that, does that make sense to you? Okay. Is that fair? Oh, no. Of yes. course not. Right. So, sorry. Yeah, please. No, I didn't say a lawyer is a bad profession. She's biased. I'm not biased. Okay, this one I might be a little biased. I'm not. I did work in family law and in family law it has nothing to do with child custody. Okay. Because I was a judge and there are times when there are good lawyers and then there's the money and stuff. But however, that lawyer on the other side probably used false information to make the mother look honestly probably in a, in a false state. Yeah, he did. And 100%. And the thing that's illegal. That's illegal. However, the courts don't know that's illegal if you cannot counter it with true evidence. We did. Then, yeah. Then, then you know it wasn't the lawyer. Then it wasn't the lawyer's fault at that point. Then it's the judge's fault. He's saying initially, and then he came in, and then. Well, was well, just like whatever it is. I'm just saying. I'm not. Ju I'm not judging the lawyers, but. Um, no, 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 no. I want you to know that. You know, it, 
a lawyer can also do amazing things, right? If you're, if you're trying to save a child, let's say that's happening now in England, where a child's um, given, uh, uh, basically they consider him brain dead and the parents are saying, no, we want to, we, we believe that he can still live and whatever. And there's other doctors in America that say that he can live and let's fly him to America and England, they won't let because they have the national health system, whatever. So, so there's a great lawyer that's helping that family and he's doing amazing things, right? The Talmud says, be careful. It's, it's, it's brought down in Pekevot. Be careful with being a lawyer because you can train yourself to do to falsehood. It's very easy. You can easily be in a case where you're making money. So, okay, let's, let me stand up for this person even though I somewhat know that this person's doing something wrong. But be very careful. It's not that you're getting... But you're putting yourself... Not always, but you can put yourself in muddy waters. Like I said, there's, there's a lawyer that once spoke to us. He's a very religious Jew uh, from Harvard. Do you remember him? Uh, he spoke to us. I forgot what was his name. Uh, no, no, no. I don't uh, Rabbi. Amazing guy. He's like one of the biggest, you know, very well-known uh, lawyer. And he spoke to our group a few months ago. Listen, he was, he was incredible. right? He does amazing things. But again, you just, uh, it's, a, it's a job that someone has to be very careful with. You can put yourself in muddy waters. You know? Of course. That means, I mean, as a lawyer, you can pick and choose your clients. Right. And you take everything with a grain of salt. You have, you have to be confident in that. Meaning, like, you have to do your own research. You also, as an attorney, you have to be diligent as to, like, making sure that you're being a, a good representative to your client. Your client right. always comes first. However, if your client is blind, you have to be truthful to the court as well. And she needs to be the However, in California, duty of confidentiality trumps that. But uh, you still have to be truthful. And then if they're not being truthful and they go against your advice, you have to withdraw. Right, and eventually you can lose your job. So that's a risk to mess around with. Of course, of course. So, like, there's a big thing in, in being a lawyer because the law actually follows Torah. It's, not, it's how it becomes. Of course, that's what I'm saying. The, the Torah uh, says that Shoftim Vishotrim Yitanacha, it's a mitzvah in the Torah to have courts and to bring justice into the world. Bringing justice into the world is a mitzvah, it's a good thing. I'm just, I'm just pointing out that within being a judge, is uh, a very good thing. And being a lawyer can also be. It's just a, it depends who you're fighting for. Again, you know, like it's... Uh, it's like everything. Sometimes lawyers don't have to be, don't have the opportunity to pick and choose if it's court orders. Right. You know, the Talmud says, and this is another scary, the Talmud says that the best doctors can go to hell. Right? It's a very... It's a very scary statement. Doctors... Why? Because they, they have a certain pride and that can, they're playing, they get used to their job. The tremendous, you know, I'll just say this, along with the responsibility of life, there's always the danger of, so, you, you know, when you're alone, you've got great responsibilities. So there's also a greater danger of doing something that's wrong. Yes. I'm not giving legal advice. <laughs> there's no legal advice here. <laughs> the statements of facts, not of law, 
I agree. We, we are biased. We are biased to our own uh, desires and needs. And therefore, the Talmud's very strong about make yourself a teacher, a master, somebody that can guide you. This is not just, we think that you know, having uh, somebody that can guide you is only for people that are special, uh, they need to go to a therapist or something. No. According to Judaism, it's always good to have that, uh, that objective opinion. We're great at giving opinions for anybody else besides for ourselves. Because when it comes to ourselves, we're subjective. If someone comes up to you and says, hey, what do you think about this? I've got this situation. Should I, should I continue to date her or not? You'll give a really good response. You, you have a lot of insight. You're a smart guy. You know, you've lived life for enough time to know. You'll have a great response because it's for somebody else. When you're responding for yourself, it's subjective and it's a problem. That's why Judaism has the Torah. Torah is objective. It's God speaking and says, don't murder. Right? If not for God, I would have thought, oh, I could murder now because I have the right to. I'm justifying it to whatever it is. Right? So even thou shalt not murder is, is, is a miracle. It's God. Even in the Torah, you can murder someone if it comes to you. That's not murder. That's killing. It says, don't murder. It says, lo tzach. Lokatuv lo taharog. Even if somebody like murders somebody, you can't murder that person. Yeah. Yeah, but he's saying if someone's coming to kill you, then it says, hashkem Then jump up and kill him first. But even if you can stop yourself, you shouldn't kill him. What do you mean? Like, well, you don't know. He's, if he's coming to attack you, if you can prevent that person from killing you. Yeah, but you don't know. I don't. I'm not. I'm not a fan of that policy. I don't know. I'm just saying, like, if he's, if I know he's coming to kill me, he's a hitman, and he has a knife and he has a gun in his hand. He's got some form of. I will do everything I can to try and kill that person, not be soft, because I don't know if maybe he's going to overcome or my weakness of saying, no, maybe I could do it in a way that I could stop him from killing me. But no. there's also, but there's also the oral Torah and the written Torah. Both the oral, this is the oral and the written. If it's if the oral Torah comes from the written Torah and it's the words of God, then it is objective. Yes, the Torah is objective. That's why even the most simple things like don't steal is not a given. It's like, hey, why does I need to have ten commandments? Don't steal, don't murder. It's like, because it's an objective opinion. It's different. In the comparison of the two judges, clearly this is like the Sanhedrin, right? So they were aware of the objective truth in the Torah, but they had different ways. It wasn't. That's a mashal. That's a parable. Oh, no, okay. That just, was a parable. Okay. But that an example, just as an example, you have judges. We have judges for cases that are specific. 
There are many things that we don't judge. We say leave it to God. There are many things. Internally, right? Right. I'm supposed oh, to okay. a judge onto myself. By the way, you guys can drink food. It's still... I know. Totally fine. We're done with the class. Who's the good judge versus the... They're both good judges. One who took lacks of mercy versus somebody, right, who was... Only God knows. Only God can know. Yeah, but how... How do you know for yourself? So that's why I think that you need a lot of Torah study. Yeah, that's what it comes down to. Yeah, you need a lot of Torah study. You need a lot of um, guidance from somebody else who studies Torah. All these things will help. That's why. That's the beauty of Torah. Is it subjective? If it's subjective, then then who says I should listen to that? Maybe my feelings are better than his feelings. That's what's happening in the world today. Why should I listen to you? Right? No one has authority. And the truth is, no one does have authority. Only God does.